0: Think on your feet for our fast and curious 5K, a one-of-a-kind race hosted by WBEZ and the Chicago Sun-Times on Saturday, July 27th at Humboldt Park. More info and early bird registration at WBEZ.org events.
1: Hi, I'm Becky Vivi, and this is WBEZ's Weekly News Roundup. Each week on The Roundup, we move beyond the headlines and take you inside the biggest state and local stories. Stories like these.
2: The city of Chicago is looking to hire 450 people to serve as contact tracers.
1: Nearly 8,400 people have died of coronavirus in Illinois since the pandemic began.
2: It's crunch time to get an accurate census count at stake. Federal dollars for education, infrastructure, and business development programs.
0: A hearing today on the Chicago Police Department's budget for next year left Alderman with more questions than answers.
2: I don't think the conversation is about cuts we're making. It is how are we going to provide better public safety to the residents of Chicago?
1: Here to break down those stories and more are AD Quig of Crane's Chicago Business and my colleague here at WBEZ Tony Arnold, AD Tony, welcome back to the roundup. Hi Becky. Thanks Becky. AD, the mayor held a press conference today. She was flanked by fire and other emergency officials who had just signed a new contract. I want to ask you about the police contract negotiations in a minute, but first The mayor took a lot of questions about the city's budget shortfall and how much taxpayers spend on public safety. Tell us more about those questions and what Mayor Lightfoot's answers were.
2: First of all, she said, you know, I've been hung up with a bunch of leftover contracts that have been long expired from Mayor Rahm Emanuel's administration. It's unfair to our public safety folks, our firefighters, EMTs, who are out there not only fighting fires but responding to COVID to be stuck without a contract so this, this latest contract includes $95 million in back pay. And everyone was like, where are we going to get that $95 million when we yeah. have this gigantic budget this year? She said, we already set it aside, mm-hmm. but this is only the latest in what are going to be a bunch of other expensive contracts that the city has to enter into.
1: You also covered yesterday's city council hearing on police spending. We heard a little bit about that at the, at the top of this segment. Aldermen were dismissing even the smallest cuts to the police department's budget. How did that story unfold?
2: Yeah, I was kind of expecting to be uh, a big discussion about what are the ways that we can defund the police department from some of Chicago's most progressive aldermen. But instead, we kind of heard, you know, here's how big the budget is. It's $1.7 billion. 90% of that is personnel. And the rest is really hard to cut. So if you want to cut back drastically on CPD, you're going to have to cut people. And if you cut people, because of the way the union contract works, it's last folks in are the first folks out. And we saw a lot of aldermen frustrated that we weren't having kind of a broader discussion of what the department should look like as we're going through this moment of racial reckoning following the death of George Floyd. So even the smallest cut that was proposed by basically uh, an, an analyst for aldermen, um, he said, you know, we could cut $55 million here and there from small perks for CPD, uniform allowances and some supervisor bonus pay. And basically the Lightfoot administration turned around and said, that's unlikely because that was bargained for in other union contracts, and the FOP that we're still negotiating with is unlikely to go for it. So even the teeniest, tiniest cuts got basically thrown off the
1: table. Yeah, and we know earlier this week talks got tense between the police union leadership and Mayor Lori Lightfoot's office as they have started negotiating a new contract with rank-and-file officers. The FOP president, John Catanzara, said he was insulted by the mayor's first offer, stormed out, and then said that he also plans to make a counter offer and take it to the city council and kind of put it in front of Alderman and get Alderman to sign on or sign off, um, support the police or not support the police. Tony, I'm wondering what your thoughts are on the politics of how this police union contract talks are, are kind of playing out.
0: So I think one thing is that it's playing out in public because there's just so much interest in not just Chicago's FOP contract and, and the timing of uh, negotiations here, but um, just generally speaking, the deals that police officers have had in the past with their cities across the country are now being scrutinized in ways that they never have before, and that's all part of it. I think here there are tactics that are used in contract negotiations that aren't necessarily unique to this instance, but you know, I think that, that what we're seeing here is is the Chicago FOP trying to get any kind of leverage that they can in a, in a city when they're running up against a mayor here who's sitting on the opposite side of the table then, from them literally in figure There's a lot working against what the FOP is going to be asking for right now.
1: Right. I want to ask you, A.D., about the contract offer that the mayor's office made. It's retroactive back to 2017. And you mentioned earlier that that's a lot of these unions have gone a while without a contract. Why did they expire so long ago and sort of languish? Why has it taken so long?
2: As Tony was alluding to, there is no easy discussion to be had between Lightfoot and current FOP leadership or past FOP leadership. I think the consent decree is another kind of complicating factor in this. Um, The mayor wants to put a lot of accountability measures into this contract. Um, Some people argue that this contract is one of the biggest barriers to Chicago police reforming itself. But this has been expired going back to Rahm Emanuel's administration. This expired in the summer of 2017. Yeah. Um. And it's it's thorny and expensive, which is I think <laughs> probably the biggest reason why it's why it's taken so long. And also just I will be curious to see whether this ultimately goes before an arbitrator. We had folks Claudia Morella, B. E. Z. brought this up years ago that this is probably likely to end up in front of an arbitrator, which is what happened with the supervisor's contract.
1: Let's turn now to the latest on COVID-19 in Illinois. Tony, yesterday the state reported more than 2,000 new confirmed cases and 25 additional deaths. What are we seeing around the state's positivity rate?
0: Of everyone who's being tested, we're seeing about three and a half percent of those people getting positive test results. Three and a half percent is comparatively good. To When you look at the states surrounding Illinois, um, we also just got word from the governor's office that he's allowing indoor dining again in Willow mm-hmm. County and Kankakee County, that region, the south suburbs, have seen, uh, saw a giant spike in their case numbers uh, in August to the point that the state had to come in and tell them uh, no more indoor dining. We're going to shut down the casinos early. Those measures seem to have worked. The numbers are going down. It's been trending downward for so long the state now is going to say, okay, you can you can go back to what the rest of the state is doing. So uh, there's been progress, but it's been relatively flat. We're in kind of this wall right now where it's it's looking like this is just how it's going to be for a while. I think what they're doing is looking to see what works. And Governor Pritzker's getting a lot of heat right now over his decision to restrict sports, um, particularly youth sports. Right. You know, he's holding firm to that, even going so far as to bringing out his own doctor, not his own personal doctor, but a doctor from Rush to yeah. say that, you know, there's problems with getting that many people together, and especially in contact sports where that can be spread.
1: One thing that the officials are doing to keep things under control is contact tracing. Now, the city of Chicago finally announced that they've picked the 31 community organizations they're going to pay to hire contract tracers. Um, the goal there is not just to obviously stop the spread of COVID-19, but also create jobs in areas facing economic hardship. A.D., can you tell us about that and and sort of why it maybe took a little longer than than we thought? Yes. Yeah, so
2: this, the city announced back in May they were looking to use uh, community-based organizations instead of kind of a call center model where they contracted out to some company in order to say, you know, we want to build trust and we also want to build jobs in these communities and link these people doing these $20 to $24 per hour jobs to more healthcare jobs that we're going to need in the future. COVID is going to be here for a long time. We might also be able to use these people to roll out our vaccine program over the next couple of years. But yes, they were behind <laughs> They were behind schedule. And when they did finally announce, they picked their organizations the demand for those jobs was so intense that they already closed the portal. So I checked mm. back today to see, oh, I would like to. I'm going on BEZ. If people want to apply for this job, I want to give people the link to go. And I went to check, and they said we've gotten 20,000 applications for these 500 or so jobs. So we're closing the portal, which is just an incredible amount of demand, which says something about our the state of our unemployment. But it also says, you know, there are a lot of people that want to step up and help on this fight, and they're going to be needed for quite a while. Um, As Tony suggested, we're kind of in this plateau stage where COVID is here to stay. In Chicago, we're averaging about 250, 260 cases a day. And those people need to be traced to try to make sure that they don't spread it to other people.
1: That's A.D. Quig of Crane's Chicago Business. WBEZ's Tony Arnold is also with us for the weekly news roundup. Let's move on to some other big stories like these. Pritzker says he sent a notice to all cabinet directors to prepare for the possibility of at least 5%
2: reductions. This is
1: a nightmare scenario. Recreational marijuana sales just hit a,
0: a new record high.
2: Yes, nearly $64 million worth of weed. Sold last month. Good news for college football fans. The Big Ten announcing it will play a shortened
1: nine-game season. All of this coming after the conference suspended all fall sports in August. Okay, I want to touch on that last story there, football in the Big Ten. AD, I know you're a Hoosier. What do you make of this decision?
2: Well, IU football is always terrible, so I was kind of hoping that it wouldn't come back. <laughs>
1: like, I don't need to watch that this year.
2: <laughs> no, no I, don't need, I don't need to see us continue our terrible run. But yes, uh, it reverses an earlier decision. I don't know if you guys saw that video um, of a very packed Wisconsin bar mm. where it was like, Wisconsin football is back. and Everyone went crazy. It reverses an earlier decision. They waited quite a long time. But uh, yeah, it's coming back. We'll see how it goes.
1: Tony, do you think this decision is driven by money and politics more than anything else?
2: Yeah,
0: uh, probably. Uh, um, <laughs> but you know, look. The thing I think about when I when I heard that the Big Ten is reversing its own decision is, you know, we we've seen the professional sports try different measures to play, and some have worked. And at the end of the day, they haven't been able to prevent their own players or staff get COVID nineteen. So you know, it's it's very possible one of these college athletes could get sick, pass it on. Even worse. Um, and, you know, it's, we're, we're in a pandemic here and this is just um, it's not foolproof, I think, is what I, I guess I would say. And they're going to take the risk.
1: I want to turn to the 2020 census. The deadline to respond is less than two weeks away. A.D., we talked about the implications of an undercount earlier this week on the show. Quickly remind listeners what the numbers here in Chicago look like and what the consequences are if they don't start to go up.
2: Sure. So Illinois' response rate right now is 70.4, which is really good. Um, We're beating out pretty much um, everyone else in the country. I think we're ranked number seventh in terms of response, but it's down to 66% in Cook County and down to 59.4% in Chicago. There's still a lot of areas in the city, particularly on the south and west sides with rates in the 30s, 40s, and 50s. Some are 10 or 15 points behind where they were during the 2010 census. This is areas we already knew were hard to count and where we really need uh, census enumerators to have time to go back and knock doors, talk to neighbors, talk to landlords in order to get an accurate count. Because without an accurate count, we lose uh, federal funding. And it's also very difficult to draw legislative districts that represent the people that work there. So CMAP found out these are mostly black and Latino areas that are that are undercounted, which might mean either districts are packed with uh, more people. Than they should. Basically, there isn't an equal distribution of where people actually are, which means your voice is uh, a little bit weaker at the ballot box. This is all subject to a federal court challenge. Uh, The Trump administration wanted census operations to wind down a month early. Um, A federal judge this week said, All right, we're going to put off that wind down at least until September 24th when we get the documents that we need from the Trump administration. It's just been a really unprecedented uncertainty clouding the census for months and months now. Mm-hmm.
1: Tony, the census, um, as A.D. mentioned, also determines how legislative boundaries get drawn. Um, this is a fun process that political reporters have covered called the remap. Um, it happens at lots of different uh, levels of government. Tell us a little bit about what the remap process is like once the census is done.
0: Here in Illinois, at least with Democrats in control of the governor's mansion and everything else, uh, you know they're, they're going to be the ones drawing the maps just a build off of what AD was just saying—that there's big consequences for not filling out the census, particularly when it comes to representation in Congress. And Illinois has been losing population; it's probably already going to be losing one, one member of Congress, and uh, potentially, depending on how this all goes, there might be even be two. Could have all sorts of different consequences for what that means for, uh, you know, just investment in in neighborhoods in areas that have either the lack of investment or even disinvestment.
1: AD, Inside City Co- Council, they'll be remapping as well. And and last time around, they were able to maintain sort of the, the racial balance of the council. But in your reporting, that probably won't be the case.
2: Chicago's black population loss has been very well documented. So there was at least some expectation that maybe um, two black wards might go away. But if we have a, a really bad undercount, that might double. One demographer talked to me, who he worked on the 1990 remap. And he's like, well, we, we could lose two more. And that might also apply to um, state legislative boundaries. We're not sure, though. I mean, this is, as Tony said, this is all political. And it really depends on who's holding the sharpie, <laughs> drawing those uh, districts. But one complication from this is that, like Tony said, there are often court cases about how partisan or how uh, racially imbalanced these lines are. But A complication this year might be that someone challenges the data itself. If we have a really crummy census count, census data is what we rely on. I'll be curious to see whether um, municipalities or states get challenged on the data itself.
1: Also, speaking of resources, Governor Pritzker this week warned of massive cuts to state government if the federal government doesn't come through with another stimulus package. Tony, how bad is it going to be?
0: Uh, The governor's office is projecting um, more than $6 billion deficit between last fiscal year and and this one, basically the life of the pandemic so far. It's a massive budget hole, and he's saying we need to cut 5% across the board right now in the state, or be prepared to do that, I suppose, uh, depending on what Congress does. And then for the next year, which doesn't begin until July, they're already planning for for even bigger cuts than 10% across the board there. Only a few agencies are spared from this, the uh, Department of Public Health. that by and large, is massive cuts, and it, it all depends on what, what happens out of Congress.
1: We heard him earlier this week. Let's listen to what he said, the governor, that is.
0: This is about support for local and state governments across the nation. This is about support for our nation's economic recovery that only the federal government can provide, just like it did for the corporate sector already.
1: Tony, the state government passed their budget in the middle of this pandemic. So, didn't they know in May that it was going to be bad? And and could they have done anything in that budget to rein things in? I don't know, f- frozen raises or or um, canceled hiring plans.
0: Uh, the governor specifically did not want to make drastic cuts to the state government. He said that during a pandemic, you need services, and so we don't want to make drastic cuts. And mm-hmm. the Democrats who control the House and the Senate uh, agreed and said that we would be keeping spending flat. What they did do is pass a measure that would allow the state to borrow up to $5 billion. And this was their way of saying, taking a wait and see approach. Do we need to uh, you know, go that route? And they gave that power to the governor. Sure. Um, We're still waiting to see what happens, and I think Pritzker is trying to hold out here to see how long he can go uh, without any kind of support from Congress before having to either enact borrowing or that borrowing or or just go ahead and make the cuts.
1: Right. Now, Pritzker is pushing for a graduated income tax on the November ballot. But if that doesn't pass, A.D., what are we looking at if, if we don't get a graduated income tax approved by voters?
2: Uh, I believe the governor is counting on $3.4 billion in revenue from that tax in 2021. Without it, we're just looking at um, worse cuts, essentially. And this is happening, like Tony said, all over. The city has an $800 million shortfall this year, $1.2 billion the next. The county has a $280 million shortfall, $400 million for the next. So it's just overlapping pain. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Anywhere you live, you're either going to see service cuts or some kind of tax hike. No one is being terribly specific. And I think there's a lot of hope that um, Joe Biden gets elected in November and somehow pushes a deal as soon as he gets inaugurated so that we're all rescued by January or February. But who knows how much we can count on that at this point. It's Mm. just um, bracing for impact.
1: Senator Terry Link, former senator, resigned. Catch us up to speed, Tony, on Terry Link's story and who he is and what has happened there.
0: Uh, Terry Link is a longtime state senator. He's been in Springfield for more than 20 years, representing Lake County in the northern suburbs of Chicago. Uh, he's an old poker buddy of Barack Obama's um, when Obama was a state senator. Link uh, pleaded guilty this week to lying on his 2016 taxes. Uh, federal prosecutors also said that he was using money from an account that his campaign controlled for personal expenses. They did not detail what those personal expenses are. I should add, uh, the other thing I'd say about Link is that WBEZ has reported, so has the Tribune and sometimes at least, that Link wore a wire against his colleague in the House of Representatives, Luis Arroyo, mm-hmm. who's resigned, also facing a charge of wearing a uh, of, of offering a bribe. Link denies being the the government mole, though. But this is all related to the giant corruption investigation that's been going on in Springfield for a while now.
1: Right. And um, there are hearings that um, are going to be happening or have happened about that big, wider sweeping probe that includes House Speaker Michael Madigan, some of his confidants, A.D. What's the latest there? So we got a
2: letter this week from U.S. Attorney John Lausch about exactly who can be called and what can be asked. I think we're supposed to have uh, a hearing before the end of the month. Tony can correct me there. But so far, it's been a very partisan process with the three members of the committee that are Republicans, three members that are Democrats, kind of disagreeing about what Lausch said and what it means for the investigation going forward. It's very different in tone and tenor from the last time state legislators took this up with Derek Smith's case. It was a clear-cut charge and a pretty straightforward process. In this one, Mike Madigan has not been charged, but he has been implicated in this deferred prosecution agreement with Comet. And I'll be anxious to see if anyone actually shows up to testify or if they do show up, if they say anything noteworthy.
1: Tony, despite being implicated in the Comet scandal, Madigan's campaign funds are the biggest they've ever been. How is he still able to raise so much money?
0: Uh, Mostly through support from labor unions. Uh, There's been a giant supporter of the Speaker and the Democratic Party, and, I mean, they're the ones in power. And that's held true throughout this entire year when there's been all sorts of reporting about this investigation into um, Commonwealth Edison and this bribery scandal that came out in July about comment offering jobs and contracts to associates of Madigan's. Uh, A.D. did a great story looking at the finances of Madigan's campaign accounts that he controls, how it spreads it around to candidates running for the House of Representatives in in various districts, particularly in the suburbs, where they think they can knock off a few Republicans this year due to the unpopularity of Trump there, and that people are just going to be reacting uh, from the top of the ticket on down uh, in favor of Democrats against Republicans, and they think that some longtime Republicans in Springfield are vulnerable now because of the unpopularity of Trump. And the Democrats can pick up a few seats. So Madigan's been raising money like gangbusters this year. Wow. And Republicans, I should add, have not. The Republicans are doing a terrible job of fundraising right now. They're, they're, the money's just not coming in for the local races. I'm talking Illinois, not not national
1: national yeah well it's all going to be a very interesting saga as we watch the election play out this fall tony arnold reports on state politics for wbez and ad Quig is a reporter for crane's chicago business tony ad thanks for joining us this week on the roundup thanks, right, Becky. Thanks. thanks for listening to wbez's weekly news roundup we work hard to bring you the best mix of the stories affecting you the most all in about 20 minutes If you like what you're hearing, let us know. If there's something you'd change, let us know, too. Send an email to reset at wbez.org. I'm Becky Vivi. Thanks for spending time with us. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the
0: host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more.